The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. If you would, open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 7 this morning. Matthew chapter 7. We are making our way to the very final words of the Lord Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. We have been looking for a number of weeks, walking through verse by verse, Matthew 5 through Matthew uh, chapter 7. Therein is recorded what we've called the Sermon on the Mount, this first great teaching of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I pray it has been a a powerful time navigating through these uh, deep words of Christ. I have found it to be greatly edifying to my own self. It's helped me a lot to preach it. As you preach it, you study it more than you've... Uh, Honestly, if you've ever taught before, you know when you're teaching or preaching, you study a passage more than you've ever studied it before, uh, even through growing up in church, even through some seminary classes on the Gospel of Matthew, um, to really meditate and pray um, devotedly with a focus upon these words of Jesus has been greatly impactful for me. I would imagine it has been for you as well. Uh, But we're reaching the final words of Christ uh, in this Sermon on the Mount. What we have seen is throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been describing for us what His followers will look like, what a true citizen of the kingdom of God will be like, their character, the things they will do, the things they will not do. He's talked about the humility of His followers, their poor in spirit, their their holiness, that they're pure of heart and they're ones who will seek the Lord, the way that they will live life even, that they will not do things to be seen of people, but they will serve the Lord to honor and glorify Him first and foremost. He spoke about them having a righteousness even that will exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. Pharisees were the religious elite of that day and age. They were the ones that if you would think if anybody were going to make it into the kingdom of God, it would be the Pharisees. And Jesus said that shocking statement there in Matthew 5, verse 20, that no, your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees if you're going to enter into the kingdom of God. And now we come to chapter 7. We'll begin in verses 13 and 14 and then... Uh, We'll skip down to verses 21 through 23. Uh, These verses just go well together. I grouped in verses 15 through 18 with a message a few weeks ago if you weren't here. But verses 13 through 14 and 21 through 23. Let's begin by reading the text. Follow along as I read it this morning. Jesus says these words, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven, many will say to me in that day, a day of judgment, a day that they stand before the Lord, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, and cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart. From me, 
you who practice lawlessness. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. What we're looking at this morning is really what we're about to, to examine, the most important thing out of everything going on in, on planet Earth right now. You think about all that might be going on in the White House this morning. You think of all that's going on with Israel. You think of all that's going on with Russia and Ukraine. You think of how large this world is and of all all the events that are unfolding in this very moment. You realize what we just read and what we're about to examine. It, It supersedes all of that in its grand importance because of the eternal nature of it all. Literally, we are going to examine a subject that is out of this world, that that eternity hangs in the balance by the words that Jesus gives for you and I to consider this morning. Not only is it most important out of everything in the events of the world generally, but even specifically in your life, what we just read and what we're going to examine this morning, what we're going to talk about for just a few moments that lie ahead of us, is the most important thing that you will ever contemplate in your life. Because literally your eternity is hanging in the balance. Life, eternal life, and destruction, eternal death, eternal damnation are the ends of these two gates, of these two ways that the Lord is setting before you this morning. There's nothing greater that you will ever come to in the entirety of your life. As important as it is to stand before someone that you will give your life away to someday as your spouse, as important as many things are in life, just thinking the birth of my firstborn even, not that the second wasn't important to Trent, or the third, my little baby girl, but even the, the key momentous moments of your life, nothing compares to, to this, to the importance of this, to the eternal ramifications, the eternal consequences of this that we are going to examine this morning. To put it bluntly in a question, I want to ask this morning, are you saved? Are you saved? Are you born again? Are you a Christian? Are you a believer? Do you know your sins are forgiven? Do you know that you have eternal life? Do you know that you are redeemed? We have a lot of different ways that we phrase this this conversion. This uh, the, the doctrinal word would be regeneration. It's more than just a conversion. It's it's God giving to you eternal life. God forgiving your sins. God making of you a child of God. God taking you from the kingdom of darkness and putting you into the kingdom of light. You going from being lost and, and condemned in your sin to being saved. Do you know that you were saved this morning, right now? Can you say with an assurity in your heart, I know I am saved? There are two questions that I want to put before you that will help you answer that question based upon the words of Jesus given to us in this passage this morning. 1 Peter 1.10 says, Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. The reality is, 
the majority of people, not only in this room, but outside of this room, if you were to ask them, are you going to heaven when you die, the majority of people would answer, of course I am. We like to think that we're on the road that leads to life, even when we are not. Because if we realized we weren't, we'd actually make the change required uh, to start going down that road and enter the gate that leads to life. Uh, there's a deception in, in the darkness of this world, a deception even in our sin, that, that you may right now be thinking, yeah, of course I'm saved. You answered all of those questions with a positive affirmation. of, Yeah, I'm a child of God. Yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I'm a believer. But the Scriptures call us to not doubt our conversion, not doubt our salvation, but to examine. To examine our calling and election. That's a divinely like sovereign type word of God's work and salvation. That we're truly saved. It's a good thing this morning to examine it no matter how sure you are of it. To truly examine your heart and life in reflection of God's word and ask yourself this morning, am I, am I truly saved? Am I genuinely saved? Am I sure that I haven't been deceived as I walk down the the broadway that leads to destruction. Examine your heart this morning with these two questions. First, have you entered the narrow gate? Have you, sometime in your life, can you look back with a definitive experience, a moment where you can say that God led you to that gate and you walked in and walked through the narrow gate? It says in verse 13, enter the narrow gate, For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go by it. Jesus uses a very powerful, simple illustration of two gates and of two roadways, of two pathways. Now realize in this day and age, they didn't have paved highways that vehicles are riding up and down. Uh, They had dirt trails and rocky trails, and, and some pathways were were well-traveled. Some were the main thoroughways that would lead from one city to the other city, were trade routes that even international travelers would constantly be coming through and, and going by. And these were well-traversed. These were, these were wide trails that ho- horses and animals and, and carriages, carts could go down. It, these were easily traveled in one sense in the, the wideness of them and the popular nature of them all. And then there would also be what we would think of as like a hiking trail. (laughs) A lot of smaller trails that may lead over to a creek that's more of a local road. A smaller trail that was less traveled, less popular, less known about. This is the imagery that the hearer of these words would have in mind as Jesus talks about the the wide gate and the the broad way, and as he talks about the narrow gate and the the narrow way, the narrow rocky trail that may go up a mountain and turn to to the left and to the right and down the hill, and and not many people know about it. Not many people enter that way. Jesus uses this illustration in a powerful way to speak of the, the way of life and the gate, the entrance, the, the belief even behind the way of living that leads to eternal life, and then the way of living, the, the mindset, the ideology, the gate behind that way of living that leads to death, eternal destruction. He says narrow is the way. Narrow is the gate that leads to life. And he says wide, broad is that gate 
that leads to destruction. There are many who find the broad way, but there's only a few that enter through the narrow gate. What is the broad gate? If you've been with us, you know Jesus is confronted over and over and over again the false righteousness of the Pharisees. It was a righteousness that was only external. It was a righteousness that was produced of their own works, really hypocritical works even, only doing what they did to be seen of others and to themselves. They could look at themselves and go, you know, I'm, I'm pretty all right. And other people might look at them and think, you know, that's a pretty all right guy. They, they pretty much got it put together. It was a self-righteousness that Jesus has already said, hey, listen, my followers will have a righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees because that's the sort of righteousness that's required to enter into the kingdom of God. And and what he's saying is that that false righteousness, that self-righteousness, it doesn't make the cut. It's actually a pathway that leads to destruction. It's actually this wide gate that so many have entered into, that we naturally want to enter into because of our sin, and we all do, to think we can do it ourselves. To think we can produce within us a sort of righteousness that someday will will justify us before God Almighty. The broad gate represents this sort of way to God, a false righteousness, a righteousness that looks good to others and maybe even ourselves, but it's a righteousness that will not save us on that day that we stand before holy God. Now, this sort of broad gate can take on many different names and appeals to the masses, each of us even individually, with the way that Satan can tailor it to each and every one of us, to some it's the gate of self-righteousness, the gate of good works. Like I've met so many people that think, you know, I'm going to go to heaven someday because I've lived a pretty good life. You know, I've been good to my wife and kids. I've, I've worked a job my whole life and been good to my, I kind of call it the good old boy gospel. It's a good old boy philosophy of, you know, if you just live right and try to do the right thing long enough, God's surely going to recognize and honor that, right? I can do enough good that my good will outweigh my bad. And someday when I stand before God, He's going to look at my life and He's going to say, you know, you did more good than you did bad. Come on in. That ain't viable. That's our, that's humanism, honestly. That's our own way of thinking that we in our own self-righteousness can produce a good work enough that can atone for our bad. And the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. All we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone's turned to his own wicked way. And then the Lord's laid on him, on Jesus. We'll get there. The, in, the iniquity of us all. You're a sinner, and no amount of good can overcome the wrong that you've done. It doesn't atone. It doesn't justify. There's many on that have entered the wide gate thinking their works are going to justify them. To others, it's entitled the gate of religion. Some people know, well, goodness, my good works are never going to save me in and of themselves, so I need, I need a little bit of religion. I need to go to church. I need to you know, give to the poor. I need to even read my Bible, and I'm going to be a person of prayer, and I'm going, to, I'm going to embrace this sort of devoted religious life. This is what the Pharisees did to the nth degree. Now, they obeyed the law in an external way to an extreme fashion, the things they did and they didn't did, and, and it produced within them even a spiritual arrogance of superiority and condemnation, judgmentalism upon others. They, they thought that they were righteous because of, one, their ethnic heritage, but two, their, their devout religion. 
their devotion. And there's some that are on that wide pathway. They're on entering through that wide gate, and that gate is entitled My Religion, and they think their religious works are someday going to be what saves them. Jesus says, no, that is the road that leads to destruction. I think what's most common in our day and age, if I were to slap a label over this wide gate, it'd be the gate of presumption. Presuming upon the grace of God. There's so many people today that just think, you know, God's, God's love, right? It's God's, God's grace. God's not, God's not ever going to send me to hell. God's, God's ultimately just going to let me in. And, and so many people live their life like they, they, however they want, doing whatever they want, with no real devotion to God, no love to God. They, they've never entered through the narrow gate. They're on that broad way that leads to destruction, and they just assume, you know, God, God's not going to condemn. We'll presume upon the grace of God. They never read their Bible. They definitely never read their Old Testament to come to understand the holiness of God, that God will punish them and God will punish sinners. Jesus says many go in by this wide gate and they are deceived and they're on their way to hell. And then he says there's a narrow gate, that there's a a smaller, less noticeable, less traveled gate that doesn't seem as attractive because it's, it's smaller It doesn't seem as attractive because the masses are going down through that gate and that's where the pull even of your own fleshly heart leads you. This this is a gate that doesn't doesn't seem like it would be better than the large gate. He says few find it, but he says it leads to everlasting life. It leads to eternal life. Now, if you've been with us on Sunday mornings, you know I've said it over and over and over again that Jesus is not giving these teachings about the character of His believers, of His followers, in order to make us think that we in and of ourselves can produce these things in our life. That the ultimate end of the Sermon on the Mount is really to lead us to understand and to realize we don't measure up. (laughs) You cannot be what God requires. You will never be what the Sermon on the Mount expects of you, what Jesus says the kingdom citizens will be like, the the followers of Christ. You will never be that. You are not that. That's where this ought to lead you, is in a sense to a hopelessness, an honest understanding of your depravity, of your sin. And the, the story doesn't end with the Sermon on the Mount. Do you realize that, right? Jesus doesn't give the Sermon on the Mount and then ascend back into heaven. And leave us just with this hopelessness of becoming in and of ourselves what He demands and requires of us to be in order to make it into the kingdom of heaven? Where does the story lead us? Where does it go? From the very beginning, it's on a trajectory to the cross. It's on a trajectory to where Jesus, the Savior of the world, would give His life a ransom for sinners would shed His blood upon a cross in order that we who are unworthy, we who are unable to save ourselves, might find His forgiveness because of what He did in His grace and in His love and in His mercy. And He was crucified for our sins. He was buried and He was raised again that third day. And now in His resurrection, He has power to forgive sins and He has demonstrated His power even over the grave and over death. He can give eternal life to any who come to Him. I think it's pretty simple who the gate is here. Jesus isn't talking about a religious pathway. He's talking about a a person. He's talking about himself even. Jesus is this gate, this narrow gate that leads us on the pathway 
to eternal life. I want to give you some Bible verses this morning. And I do this twofold. One, to help help you come to understand the truth I just spoke. But two, to show you it's not merely my opinion. This isn't merely me as a Baptist preacher making this up because I'm a Christian and I, I want to make it sound like you've got to go through the Baptist way. Now, this is the Word of God. This is the teaching of Jesus Christ Himself. It is an exclusive doorway, gateway. You can't just go whatever way you want and think you're going to get to God. You, you can't just do it your own way and, and go down the broad way and the broad gate and all the many gates that may be defined as that broad gate and think that that's going to lead to eternal life, to forgiveness, to salvation. Jesus says, notice in 2 Corinthians 5.21 first, God says, the Apostle Paul writing, For He, God, made Him Jesus to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Now think about this. Just, just really like, use your little bit of brain power that God has given you this morning, early in the morning, and, and think about this transaction. God made Him Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin. He is the perfect Son of God incarnate. He lived a life of complete obedience to God the Father. He was what He should have been. He is the second Adam, whereas the first Adam sinned, and by sin came death. He's the second Adam who obeys the Father, who by even His obedience brings life to those who are dead in their sins and in their trespasses. God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Okay, that, that we might have a righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees. Those who had the utmost degree of external righteousness, of self-righteousness. It was a false righteousness that cannot atone, that cannot justify, that does not save. Jesus knew we needed more. We needed Him. We needed His redemption. We needed His sacrifice upon that cross. Jesus says in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to Me shall never hunger, and he who believes in Me shall never thirst. In John 10 and verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door. Talking about some sheep with a gate even. I am the gate. I am the door. If anyone enters by Me, he will be saved. And he will go in and out and find pasture. In John chapter 10 and verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John 14 and verse 6, Jesus said to old doubting Thomas, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. So do you really believe that Christ is the only way to heaven? Yes, I do, because that's what Christ professed. It wasn't He being like Muhammad and speaking of another, of a greater, of Allah. It wasn't like Confucius with wisdom in many ways and many pathways. It wasn't like any other leader of any movement that's ever come in time past. Jesus stands and He says, I am the way. You think about the arrogance of such a statement. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He is 
the Son of God incarnate. He is the Redeemer. He is the Savior of the world. He is the way, the truth, the life. That means you can't go through any other way. Those are all the wide gates that lead to death. He's the only means by which holy God could reconcile and forgive sinful man. Your works can't do it. Your religion can't do it. The grace of God, apart from the atoning work of Christ, cannot do it. Think about that for a moment. My God, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Okay, the only way that holy God could redeem sinful man and be, Romans chapter 3, both the just and the justifier, both the one who is holy and the one who can pardon sinners and forgive them, a, a, a payment had to be made. Christ bore that payment upon the cross. He is the narrow gate. There is no other way apart from Him. Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9 Paul writing, and he says, Yet indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Now listen to this. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. Not my own righteousness that's of my own doing, my own religion, my own devotion, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace have you been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Titus chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly. How? Through Jesus Christ our Savior that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God. If you think that you can bring yourself to God through your works, through your good life, through your turning over a new leaf in your life, you have not read the Bible. No, that's the broad gate that leads to destruction. One more, Romans chapter 10, verses 9-13. through 13. But if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. There is no distinction between the Jew or the Greek. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is or where you come from or what you've done. For the same Lord is over all, is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you entered the narrow gate? Has there been some time, some moment in your life this morning that you can look back upon and you can say, you know, somebody somebody told me about the gate. Somebody told me about Christ. You didn't know it from birth. Let me get that out of the way. You were not born a Christian. Nobody's born having entered through this narrow gate. You're born in your sin. By the grace of God, I believe if you, you die before that age of accountability, before you act on that sin and willingly, cognitively turn against God to worship the creation over the Creator, I think before that age of accountability, the grace of God 
atones and justifies by the blood of Christ, the one who, who passes away. But as soon as you reach that age of accountability, you do choose to worship the Creator rather the creation rather than the Creator. You do choose to enter the broad gate. And you begin a pathway down the broad pathway. So don't come in here thinking, well, I've always been a believer. No, you haven't been. That's a sign to me to tell me you've never really had this moment I'm talking about where somebody shows you the narrow gate and you are moved of the Spirit of God to open the door and walk through it. Have you, have you had a moment in your life where somebody told you you're a sinner and you need salvation and you under the weight and the brokenness of the, the sin of your life, even though it might not be great sin and a standard compared to others. You know it's sin and you know it's worthy of hell eternal. And and you find out about Jesus dying upon a cross for your sins, being buried and raised again. You find out about the command to repent and believe and you turn and you say, God, I know I'm a sinner. And and as Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that He was crucified, buried and raised again. And you call out to God, verse 13, to save you and He does. Are you saved? If you're saved, you ought to look back and say, there was a moment that I entered the gate. There was a moment that I repented and believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior. I can remember as a seven-year-old boy. The gospel is not complicated. It's simple. As a seven-year-old boy coming to that understanding that I, I knew I was a sinner, I can remember just being amazed at the love of God that He would give His own Son to save me, to redeem me as He did. And my dad led me. And some of the verses we just read even. And I bowed my head and I confessed I was a sinner. I confessed Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and my belief and dependence upon it. And I know as a seven-year-old boy, God saved me. I entered that narrow gate. Have you entered the narrow gate this morning? One more question of examination. Are you walking the difficult way? Not past tense, have you entered the gate, but present tense, what is the pathway that you're walking this morning in? Jesus said, not only is there a narrow gate that we must enter, but but once you enter the narrow gate, what follows is a difficult pathway. Let's read it again. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go by it, because narrow is the gate, and the New King James says, difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. The the, the roadway to eternal life is, is difficult. The word in Greek means compressed even, with a pressure being upon it. And so our English translation, some use the word narrow, some one even uses the word compressed, the New King James uses difficult. The imagery would be of, of a small narrow trail that has growth all, all around it. If you've ever been in the woods, maybe I'm thinking dog hunting and chasing a dog down or tracking a deer. Some of you guys would uh, sympathize with this. You're going down a deer trail and it's a nice kind of open way and then all of a sudden you, you come to just a... Uh, a mess of bushes, of briars, and, and imagine that trail going through it, but you know, and some of you have been here and done it, as you go through it, it's going to hurt. Like you're going to get cut, you're going to get scratched, but you know what's on the other side is worth it. That's the picture that Jesus is presenting here of the narrow way. That it's not come to Jesus and have health and wealth and prosperity. It's come to Jesus and, and go down a trail of persecution 
Go down a trail where he even warns you must deny yourself and carry your cross and follow after me. Where he says the world will hate you and will persecute you. Where he says there will be much tribulation. Where just a few verses ago in Matthew chapter 5, he even says you will be persecuted. The world will hate you. And he says it might require you to cut off your hand and to to pluck out your eye. Jesus made clear the narrow gate leads to a difficult way. And the difficult way does lead to eternal life, but there's few who go down it. Paul Washer put it so well, where he said a modern church interpretation or reinterpretation of the words of Jesus would be that narrow is the gate and broad is the way that leads to life. (laughs) Narrow is the gate. We do well with evangelism and leading people in prayers and even baptizing. But then he says, modern day Christians for the most part think broad is the way. I then can go live any way I want to and do anything I want to do. And I'll live my life just following the same pathway that lost people do, honestly. But you think because you've said a prayer or you think because you've been baptized that you're genuinely saved. No, that's that's not how it works. I think what happens so many times in those cases is, and we'll get to it with the parable of the soils, people, people see the door and they know that they need to walk through that narrow door and they peek in and they, they look at the life that follows it. They look at the trail that is difficult and it seems to many around as if they've walked through the door, but the reality is they poked their head in and they went, nah, I like my way. I like the broad way. I like not having to be that devoted to the Lord and obedience to all of His commands. I like to to be able to, you know, make church a, just a little part of my life that when, it, when it's convenient is a part of my life. My, my devotion to the Lord, it, it really just serves fulfilling my dreams. God is there to be my crutch, to answer my prayers and fulfill my dreams and wishes, to lean on when things don't go as I, I want them to go. But He's not the sovereign God over your life. He's not your Father who is in heaven, whom you are praying daily, your will be done on earth, your will be done in me. One of the scariest verses in all the Bible. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then Jesus says, I will declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You can know a lot about God. You can think that you know God. You can compile up a list of things that you've done for God and someday stand before God and find that God doesn't know you. And find that God will look down in that moment and say, Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. You've been doing everything of your own strength. Everything adding to your own life and the life that you've dreamed. The life that you're living for your own glory. And and God's just merely been a part of, of providing for that. You've done some, you know, Broadway is filled with all sorts of spiritual trinkets to pick up along the pathway. 
Satan loves spreading those out so people can get them these little these little trophies, these little badges where they can someday stand before God clinging to these things and think, see God, look what I've done. Look what I've done for you. I went to church on Sunday morning, October, the whatever it is this morning. I I did this, I did that, and it gives a false sense of security when, when the real question is, does God know you? Have you turned to Him in a broken, humble repentance and believed upon Christ and entered that narrow gate? And then having entered that narrow gate, you follow the will of God. That's why Jesus says, only those that do the will of my Father in heaven shall enter the kingdom of heaven. He's not saying we're justified by our works here. Uh, He's saying what James says and what Paul says also. You show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. That faith without works is dead that the people that think by their looking and glancing into the gate and, and poking their head in and then going, nah, I'm going the other way, that they're genuinely saved. They have no fruit of their salvation. They, they come to Christ and think they can leave unchanged. No, that person, that person's on the broad way to destruction. When you enter through the gate, the narrow gate, you begin that journey down the difficult trail. You will do the will of your Father in heaven. You won't be perfect at it, but He's a good Father. He carries us through. If you're living your life on Broad Street, going down the Broadway, it's a good evidence that you've never entered the gate. That you're not on the difficult trail. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate And broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way, which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Have you entered the narrow gate? Are you right now walking the difficult way? child of God? Do you know that that you're going to heaven? Do you know that you've been given eternal life? You can know that this morning. Examine your heart. Examine your life. Would you turn to an invitation? And ask yourself the question, am I really saved? Make your calling and election sure. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we pray. Lord, You would of Your grace and mercy through Your Spirit bring just a a time of examination into each and every one of our hearts and lives this morning. Lord, there may be someone here who doesn't know that they're saved. They don't know that they're a child of God. They've never entered into that gate. They've never come to Christ and their life right now is, is being lived on the Broadway. There may be some who have thought that they came to you, but their life gives great evidence that they haven't. Lord, would you bring conviction, open up eyes to see. Lord, I pray ears have heard. Lord, may you point all of us to Christ. Lord, save the lost, I ask. Sanctify your people, I pray in Jesus' precious name.